Welcome to another edition of The Best Business Mind, hosted by serial entrepreneur and author Mark Kramer. Tune into The Best Business Minds to listen to thought-provoking interviews with best-selling business book authors who are today's leading innovators, entrepreneurs, and industry experts from around the globe. Welcome to another edition of The Best Business Minds, where we interview business leaders and academics that write thought-provoking books. I'm Mark Kramer, a serial entrepreneur who consults with family businesses and entrepreneurs. And today, I'm not in Vietnam working at Vin University. Today, I'm in Los Angeles visiting my daughters on uh, my own spring break. So I'm thrilled to be here back in the United States. Uh, today, our special guest is uh, Dr. Lizette Warner, author of Power, Poise, and Presence, A New Approach to Authentic Leadership. Dr. Warner, welcome. Hey, Mark. Thank you so much for having me. Well, I really enjoyed your book, and uh, it was a, a actually a, a good read, and I read it uh, during a 15-hour plane uh, ride from Hanoi to Los Angeles. So it was a, it was uh, well enjoyed during that ride, and it made it go very quick. Uh-huh. So let's start off with you telling us about your professional background. Yeah, sure. Uh, I am an engineer by training. I've got my uh, I've got a bachelor's in electrical engineering, and I got my PhD from the Mayo Clinic. And from there, I've worked in healthcare and executive leadership in healthcare for uh, quite a few years, probably about 10, 15 years, working on uh, leadership teams, executive leadership teams, working globally with a lot of teams delivering um, software and solutions to our customers. And aside from that, I am an executive uh, coach. So when I started in the people leadership area, I uh, started training and using coaching skills to lead. And I started then uh, coaching a number of executives in-house and then out of house. And um, that led me down the path that I'm on today, talking to you. (laughs) Well, we're thrilled that you're uh, taking the time to speak with us today. So why did you write this book? I wrote it because I knew as an uh, as a coach that I wasn't going to be talking to every single leader out there. And I kept seeing as I was coaching more and more people, I kept seeing sort of the same themes coming up. And I wanted to be able to give a resource to people from, you know, from the confidential coaching confines and space that I worked in that could help others who were dealing with the same sort of problems, which was you know, being able to act um, or feel like they didn't have power, like they didn't have a powerful position, so they couldn't act, um, feeling caught off guard with uncertainty, and then feeling like they didn't know how to handle their emotions or how to really appear present when they had all this other stuff going on. Um, and those were kind of this, the same themes that kept popping up. How often do you hear people feel like they don't have power? Uh, to control their professional and personal futures. So reading this book definitely helps them uh, do that. Uh, So let's talk about um, what's the definition of power? How do you define power? Yeah, that's a good question. Um, You know, power is 
is something that you have uh, within within you, right? A lot of times, power there's there's equations for how do you how do you get to power, but each and every person exerts some level of power, even if you think about it, little kids too, right? They sometimes can exert the most amount of power. Um, but the way, the way I look at it and define power is, is that source of energy and it embodies, um, who you are at any particular moment and exerting that, um, making your, uh, presence, uh, felt. Um, please talk about the fire that could have burned your house down if your dad didn't act and what you learned from it related to power. So I thought that was a very interesting story. Yeah. So it 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 was the first time really that I saw what I felt, um, you know, and it, it didn't occur to me till much, much later. Right. So when I was a little kid, the, there was this incident that happened. I was at the next door neighbor's house and one of the older girls had, um, you know, we were playing this game in their basement. And so it was me, a little older girl. She was maybe seven. I was maybe five. And she had a little sister and her little sister is four, three, maybe had us all in the basement. And to me, what I thought was power was that person who, you know, tells you what to do, how to do it. And, and, you know, she was older than me. So I felt, okay, she has she has what I thought was power, um, you know, and her, her presence was felt. So anyway, she, she gives us these pieces of paper. She lights them and we're standing on top of a mattress. And of course the, the little one drops her paper and the mattress sort of goes in up in flames. And I'm sitting there looking at this, um, realizing that she, uh, she's then telling me like, stamp it out, stamp it out. And it's growing faster than any one of us little kids could do anything about. And as this fire is growing faster, I stopped. And I made a decision at that point. And I ran out, I was trying to get them out of the house. And they're like, no, my dad's going to kill me. Um, So I ran out of the house, I ran next door. And I could remember, like, even to this day, the steps that I took, right, and the people I I got out of my way. And that, for me, was acting with purpose, making my presence felt and getting someone who could help, which was my dad, um, who came in, assessed the situation, got the girls out, got the mattress out, burned his hands in the process. And I think that sense of understanding that it wasn't the older girl telling me what to do that was powerful. It was that power within myself of assessing the situation and walking with firm purpose towards what I knew could help us. And that was a very powerful and also empowering um, action. And so I think that a lot of times that comes back to, um, you know, power isn't a role. Power isn't being in a particular, having a particular, you know, company designation or what your business card says. Um, Power is what you walk around with and it is for no one to take away or give to you. It is what you have within you. And I found it at that moment. Did you have a whole different view of your dad after that? 
You know, I, my dad has, and I don't know for a lot of people, maybe it's the same, but my dad was always this uh, very authoritative sort of person. Um, and the, the view that I had from him afterwards, and even now, I don't, if you would have asked him, he, he, like, he didn't do anything miraculous, right? He, he was just being himself. And again, that's another, um, the way I look at my dad, I think is, is different now than I did as a kid. Like as a kid, I don't know, he was, he was dad, but now looking back with the lens of everything that I, that I see, um, yeah, I do view him. I do view him differently. And I don't think that he would have ever said that, you know, he did anything remarkable or anything nobody else would have done. Um, but clearly I don't think other people would have grabbed onto the mattress, pulled it out of the house at the detriment of like his hands were bandaged for the next several weeks. Um, but yeah, I, I, he, that made an impact on me and I didn't realize how big of an impact it made on me until I'm sort of reflecting back on it. Curious, was your dad in the military by the ch by chance? Had he ever served? No, he had never served. Um, just just the, that day, a quiet hero. Yeah, but I mean that, that's kind of how he lived his life. He was he was that quiet hero, I think, throughout his life. And I don't think he would have ever said that he did anything remarkable. He was always sponsoring kids in other um, countries. It was really important to him. He was always he was always there. Who's is this funny story about my dad when he was growing up, his family had, they were wealthy. They, they lived in Mexico and by the standards, they were very wealthy. Well, he came home one day, he did his, um, uh, family had given him like a new coat. It was cold. He's walking home and he sees a man who's freezing, like it's cold outside. So he takes off his coat and gives it to the guy and just continues home. Like this was his mentality growing up. It was just, it was always about the other and not about himself. That was my that was my dad too, yeah. and I've taken after him. Well, what's the value of having poise and presence as a leader? Mm. Yeah, poise is that capacity of um, you know uncertainty. How many people in here are thrown off by uncertainty? How many people, you know, that that whole COVID year was a whole year of uncertainty for so so many people and leaders especially, um, can get thrown off with that uncertainty. Parents, I, I consider parents as leaders, um, can get thrown off with uncertainty. At any particular age, you know, something happens and your whole day might get sidetracked. And it really can, um, can affect the way you show up and the way that uh, you're, it can turn your day from awful to, or, or from, you know, I've got a great day planned ahead of me towards awful. Um, so poise is one of those things of how do you handle uncertainty? How do you stay nimble when the unexpected happens? And so I feel like that is an in, integral part of, of leading um, as is, you know, as is presence, as is being, being present to the moment, being present to your um, everything that's going on around you and distraction can 
come up, right? That is a, it's a real thing or, or doing two things at once, right? I read this article that you can do, you probably know about this as well, right? You can do um, listening and nothing else at the same time. That the this aspect of you can, is it, are you present if you're, if you're listening and you're doing something else? Um, I know that happens to me quite, quite frequently um, here at the house, especially with my husband who is asking, there's a, I was working on something and and he will, he, he would have come up and he got, we got to this point where I was, yeah, yeah. You know, sort of responding to him. Yes. And so then he starts saying, and um, I won the lottery. Yeah. <laughs> and I gave all the money to Sabrina, our dog. Yeah. yeah. And I'm sitting there. Yeah. Yeah. And it's like 15 seconds. What? Wait, what? <laughs> <laughs> How many times do our kids yell at us for doing that? <laughs> I was like, wait, hang on. Actually, that just happened to me yesterday at dinner. Mm -hmm. So, yeah, I I hear you. Can poise be taught? And if so, how do you do it? Yeah, that's a great question. Can poise be taught? Well, certainly for for gymnasts, for athletes, poise is a a skill, right? And obviously it can be taught. Um, There is not a single gymnast who's popped out of the womb, able to, uh, do moves and stay, um, stay with it poised and and balanced the whole time. So obviously to some extent there, there is a level of skill involved that, yeah, you can learn. Um, and so I think it, it can be, it can be taught. It can be nurtured. I think that's the right word. Is it, it poised is something that you can nurture with the right habits in place of understanding, you know, how do you react when the uncertain happens? I had a client yesterday who said that their their day went haywire as soon as the unexpected happened. And it, she said she felt as if, and you can probably resonate with this, Her the rest of her day felt like she was running to the train station and running to hop on the train and just barely making it. And and it affected the rest of her day as if, you know, when you are late to the train, you hop on, you might not get a seat, right? You're standing, you're like, oh my goodness. Wow. Okay. Right. Instead of walking with deliberate purpose to the train, to um, even if you're running a few minutes late, right? There's a difference in how you approach it, whether you're running and you slam onto the train and the you've, you've still got the doors, they're waiting to close, right? And so they close. There's a difference in showing up, sort of huffing and puffing, oh my gosh, or walking with deliberate purpose. And so she wanted to be able to walk with deliberate purpose for the rest of her day. And she said when that, that poise, um, when she wasn't poised, that that it affected the rest of her the rest of her day. It's like I gotta start all over again. Yeah, um, she was the totally next day. thrown off. Yeah, completely thrown off. Uh when things go wrong, many people become afraid of what will happen and panic. How does a leader get the troops to remain uh in the column? I mean, that's always, you know, how people lose wars, how companies uh lose their place. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I love that question um, because 
there's a sense of when you're facing the uncertainty or let's say the unexpected happens and how how do you deal with it and how do you how do you traditionally deal with it um and then how do you want to deal with it so when something unexpected happens and truthfully everything's unexpected you might have a plan for your day but your entire day it really is unexpected um it's one expected moment to the other so what of that is under your control that you can impact and what of it is the piece that is outside of your control and understanding that there are certain things that are outside of your control and okay let's roll with it and what is inside my control and then how do we approach that and having having a a grasp or an ability to be able to um to identify that piece that is in your wheelhouse or in your control and to stay focused on that. When you can start to uh, dissect, sort of dissect it out of what is really the piece that's not in your control um, away from what is, and then keep your troops focused on what is the next, what's the next step. We might not see all the steps down the path, but what are the next few steps towards our end, towards the end goal? And then sometimes, you know, your end goal, maybe it has to shift a little. How many different styles of leadership are there? Wow. That's maybe a good question for you, Mark. Uh, <laughs> because, <laughs> I mean, because I mean, you, you see all types of, you know, way people eat. Some are very charismatic leaders uh -huh. and, and people follow them. Some of them are, are quiet leaders and, and do by example, right? Mm -hmm. Some people um, can maybe have a combination of both. Some people are just uh, smart and people follow them just because they're smart. Mm -hmm. Some people can lead, but they're not they're not managers and management gets confused with leadership, right? Because yeah. Steve Jobs was a great leader, mm -hmm. but not a good manager. Mm -hmm. And if it wasn't for, you know, uh, Steve Wozniak and Tim Cook, there wouldn't have been a Steve Jobs, right? Yeah. So, you know, you see that. I mean, I don't think anybody says, oh my gosh, Bill Gates is a great manager, but he's, and and he's not a charismatic leader, but he leads by, by brilliance. Yeah. Right. Yeah. So, so there's like so many different types, but when you look at him, is there like a few kind of uh, things that people fall into one bucket or the other? Yeah. I, okay. So the way I'll, I'll answer that is for everyone who's listening, just to consider the way that you show up in the world. We are all distinct, unique individuals. And while there may be sort of, sort of certain archetypes of leaders, even within that, I think there's such a broad uh, range of how people can lead. And so to answer your question, how many different types of leaders, it, it boils down to how many different types of people do we have? How it, it's each person, just like you mentioned, is going to lead in their own particular way. There's not another Steve Jobs, even though there might be other people who are like, or maybe even have the same sort of personality. There's nobody else who's going to show up the way that Steve Jobs showed up. And I think oftentimes we want to, 
and it's fine to have those role models of, okay, that that's kind of how I want to show up, but understand that you showing up here, Mark, there's a, not another Mark Kramer. Thank God. And, <laughs> right? My kids right? are like, Phew. and even if you had a twin, Mark, yeah. Even if you had a twin, you two would show up completely differently because you've got complete different life experience behind you. And so I think oftentimes as we're in the workplace, we see people modeling, you know, modeling leadership. And it's like, okay, that's how I should be. And I take the stance of you should be who you are. There's no other leader like you. So what makes you unique? And what are your particular strengths? that you can bring to the workplace. Sure, flavor it by, you know, certain um, certain other characters and personalities that you see and people that you admire, but understand that there is no other you on this planet and the entire world needs you to be you. It's You know, the good thing is, is there is so many leadership styles because, uh, and there's so many different ways of going about because some people would be intimidated by thinking I could never be do it that way, but watching other people, I mean, Napoleon was what five foot five, and George Washington was six foot three. Yeah, you know, and there have been you know Queen Elizabeth, you know, led for seventy five years, and so they all comes in different shapes, sizes, and styles. So I think that's uh, reassuring to people that you don't have to fall into yeah uh, one style, right? I mean, yeah. that's, the, that, that's the good thing that we learn. Um, do men and women have different leadership styles and or is gender irrelevant? Yeah. I don't know. What do you think, Mark? <laughs> I deal with a lot of different people, um, but I would think that um, in my own case, I think men and women do have different leadership styles um, mm -hmm. when they do it. I, I, and I'm not saying it's gender specific, but I think our approach is uh, kind of different. And I hear that all the time yeah. uh, from people. Uh, so I, and, I, I and, and different agree, by yeah. origin, you know, uh, certainly somebody I'm in Asia. So mm -hmm. people lead a different way in Asia. So I think cultural counts. So tell me what you're, you know, what, when you look at it, what do you see? Yeah. And, and, and the reason I asked you is because you've got such a, diverse world experience and having lived in other cultures. I know I've, I've worked globally. I've worked around the world and I've, I've worked with men and women in the coaching space that I work with, with leaders. You know, this is a safe space where they, you know, people that I work with can talk about whatever is, is how they're leading, how they're showing up, what they're dealing with. And so we tend to go kind of deep and and see what's behind the curtain, right? Because we're in this particular safe space. And from that space, I mean, what I can share with you is that I do see differences and some of the more distinct differences. And I talk a little bit about this in the book is where um, you may have, I may have a, you know, someone who's unhappy in the workplace and Oftentimes what I see with, with my female clients is that they're unhappy in the workplace and they'll stomach it, stomach it, stomach it without saying anything um, until they realize, okay, where am I going next? 
right? We want to make sure that our family's taken care of. We've got, um, we're not losing income or anything and want to make sure that, okay, that next step is secure. And so when they hand in their letter of resignation, like it's done, it's a done deal. They're just, we've already got something else. My mind's already there. Um, and with my male clients, they, um, they explore leaving already, already er earlier, even um, maybe before my female clients. And they will take that risk of pursuing a job that's outside of some, even their, their own space. Um, and they'll start, they'll start that process a lot earlier and may not, um, may not stomach isn't quite the right word, but may not, um, you know, tolerate some of what they're seeing and they'll, they'll just go ahead and explore and they'll go ahead and jump ship. They'll move in that next direction. Well, yeah, kind of well before. Yeah. I do notice the difference that, um, women have uh, a lot of women leaders I deal with have expressed a lot of self doubts. Mm -hmm. Uh, and yet, uh, they're more than accepted by their male counterparts as having the leadership skills to guide the organization, uh, where guys don't have that doubt. Uh, in fact, if anything, maybe they're more, uh, they overcompensate. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Uh, but also notice that women, uh, women, especially women entrepreneurs, are much more resilient uh, than guys are. Guys more are, uh, willing to move on from something where women kind of dig in. Uh -huh. See it. I'm in Vietnam, and the largest corporation in Vietnam is Vin Group, who I work for, uh -huh. and they have at least 19 subsidiaries. Every single one is CEOed by a woman, uh -huh. and I'd say about 80% of the entrepreneurs uh, are women. Yeah, you know, CEOs of companies. It's astounding. Yeah. I mean, like nowhere else can you uh -huh. uh, see something like that. Even in Asia, they tell me Vietnam is like a very unique place that they're. Uh, women abound in in um, powerful positions, uh -huh. uh, and there I don't think Vietnam's ever had a woman leader for the country, but women are throughout the leadership mm -hmm. uh, uh, of the country. So yeah, it's very interesting. I, it, yeah, it, it is, and I, you know, as you're talking about it, I'm I'm somewhat not not too terribly surprised to see that. Um, because if you think about it, women do play a huge role in leadership, even away from um, away from corporate structures. They play a huge role in deciding the family's wealth decisions. You know, the where where do we spend? Um, there's a lot of financial acumen that women have within the you know within the realm of home. And it does lend, I would think it would lend itself towards entrepreneurship. The, the one thing that women I find in Asia, especially in Vietnam, and I've been to five countries, is that not men are more than willing to follow them in terms of they're smart and they build a company. But the problem is uh, for them is that they are still have the traditional mm -hmm. um, responsibilities of children, in-laws, and their own parents. 
And so the men are still need to catch up in terms of providing them with the equal support for them to do it because they're like, yeah. I constantly hear, I'm burned out. Mm-hmm. I've got to go home and still take care of the family, take care of his family, take care of my family mm-hmm. and my company all on top of it and still be engaging with him. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So yeah. I, I find that to be interesting. Startups launch new products and services that aren't always embraced and people become frustrated after putting their hearts and soul into it. What strategies do you have for people uh, getting people to move on and look forward when you know maybe things aren't going in the right direction or maybe they should you know move on from whatever they're doing? Yeah, the you know in any particular thing that happens to us whether it's a whether it's a win or whether it's a gosh this just isn't working sort of situation there's always something that we can learn in that situation and one of the things that I always bring to mind to especially a lot of my clients is what is that teaching you what are you learning in this what is there um what lesson is there that we as a team um, are missing? Because those are, you talked earlier about, you know, companies that need to, um, you know, how do you handle shifts or shifts in the marketplace or, um, and how do you handle that, right? And, And sometimes we can get so stuck on what a product does or what its release date is or what it's meant to do that we miss the bigger picture of what are we learning in this that we can throw back into the mix to make this actually hit. And so that's where I would challenge somebody who's who's asking that question of wow, I, th- I threw a lot of my time in this, and now like, it's it's going nowhere. Well, what's the lesson in that it's going nowhere? What's the lesson that you're taking away that you're learning? What is this trying to teach you? And how can you bring that back into either your product, your service, yourself, your team, your organization on how you're dealing with this, or how it affects the product, or uh, maybe that product that you designed isn't landing. And if it's not landing, then why? Right? So take that, take all of that information. And instead of labeling it as failure, as I didn't succeed, you've learned something. And you've learned something more in failure than you do in success. Because no question about that. Right? I mean, success tells you, yeah, you, and it feels great, right? Yeah, we did it. Okay, you know, let's move on. But why did you succeed? Whereas when you fail, you've got very clear um, definitions of what failed, what didn't hit, what was out of alignment that you can then bring on to then make that shift to get towards success. And so I think that's that's a huge piece of uh, that, you know, if people could start rewiring their brains towards, you know, failure is giving me data. 
it's giving you such rich data. And a lot of times what we do with it is we're like, let's sweep it out. Like, I don't want it. I don't want to hang on to it. Um, and instead, mine all of the beautiful wisdom and all of the pearls that you're throwing out with the trash. Um, stop throwing it out. Start looking at it. And then I start. I always put you one step closer to success. Like every yes. time that happens. Yeah. Uh, your mental mindset has to be uh, listen to it, evaluate it, and then let it help you get to the next level. Yeah. I mean, that's what all great coaches do mm -hmm. uh, with their teams. You cite stats that 8% of the Fortune 500 companies are run by women, 30% of senior leadership roles are filled by women, and it's worse for Black, Latino, and Asian. Mm -hmm. So why do you think that is in 2024? And when do you see that uh, gaining parity? Are, are these numbers, including the Middle East and Africa, where women are definitely being held back? And does that affect the results? Yeah, I'm, I'm to answer the latter part first, I'm sure it probably does affect the, the results. So the data came from McKinsey. And um, I'm trying to remember everywhere McKinsey did the st study, but I don't think it was an all-inclusive global study. Um, so Middle East, Africa, is probably not represented in that, just to answer the last part of that question first. Um, and then, you know, you mentioned earlier, you know, women are doing a lot of the work, not just in the company, but also at home, taking care of uh, parents, sometimes their kids as well, um, as well as the company needs and not just the company needs, but the staff needs, right? Their team, helping their team learn and grow and have that professional development. You know, in, in my career, I've, I've had several, um, now this is anecdotal, but I've had several bosses and the best ones were always the ones who helped me advance who helped me learn what were the distinguishing things about me that I do very, very well, um, and how can I improve upon that? And a lot of times, if I look back over my career, the men either didn't, my male leaders didn't know how to give me that direction or that assistance or assume that I would pick it up from somewhere else. So not only are, are women contributing at work towards their towards the organizational goals, but they're also developing the personnel and taking that on as another um, as another burden, let's call it, right? It's something else that they're doing. And it's in many times not being recognized. There are a lot of um, employee resource groups that have popped up. And those are typically all volunteer organizations. And many times the leaders for the employee resource groups are women who are also doing their job, who are also taking care of um, kids at home, who are also taking care of groceries, of um, paying bills, of uh, elder care as well. And so all of that has an impact that I, I talk to more and more, I, I don't know if you see this, but I talk to more and more women and it's somehow disheartening that the, you know, we've got 30% in senior VP roles and they're not getting, you know, into that C-level. 
But a lot of it, quite vulnerably, I'll share here with you, Mark, is that a lot of those women are telling me, like, I, I just want to get out of corporate America. Like, it's it's just not for me anymore. I can't keep doing this. I can't keep not taking care of myself, not taking care of my family, not taking, like, I need something um, that I can own and do myself as an entrepreneur. That's why when you shared, there's a lot more, you know, women. Yes. Entre- I can definitely see that because I and and it's it's a it's a loss for corporate America because um and I don't know how globally how per, pervasive this is globally because in some countries there is more of a parity. If you look at a country like Finland, there is more of a parity between um men and women. There there's um a parental leave for both parties, um, for both parents. And so there's some some level of support there, and there's there's a little bit more parity in in other countries, but at least in in the U.S. we see I see a lot of women who are giving, 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 and then they get to this point of like, okay, that's it. I'm like, I can't give anymore. I can't keep at this particular level anymore, and I just want out. And so they're starting their own business. They're doing something else. And now, honestly, I think it's to a, to the detriment. I think corporate America needs to to listen up and address that because these are also the same people who are developing your staff, who are keeping your employees happy and helping them grow. But yeah, no I don't problem. know. How do, how do you take that? I mean, I, I think, um, of course, men need to step up more <laughs> and there needs to be more of a, a balance. And I think you're seeing it with each generation. I mean, certainly my father was head of the curve in that area, but I think you're seeing what each generation uh, men are taking on more more of the home responsibilities. I even see it here in Vietnam where one of my students, her father's retired police and he's the homemaker. He yeah. he cooks and cleans and, his, and her mom owns a travel agency and she does work, but he takes care of the whole house and now they have a grandchild. And he was like a high-ranking guy, mm-hmm. uh, but he stepped up, and you're seeing yeah. more of that now. I think uh, in, we are, yeah. I, I, in, I definitely the book, think we are. Sorry. In the book, you mentioned the importance of resiliency. Many people, when knocked uh, knocked down, lose all of their confidence. Mm-hmm. Uh, and when you've been knocked down, what has been the process of bouncing back, and what do you teach your clients? So when this has happened to you, how do you handle it? Uh, and you mentioned this in the book. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You know, the the problem with getting knocked down is oftentimes we're forward facing, right? Where we get knocked down. You're, what are you looking at? You're looking at the ground and you're looking at, okay, how do I get back up? And you face some sort of setback. And for whatever reason, the thing we don't do in that moment, we we do this in every other moment, but in that particular moment, the thing that we do not do is we don't take a look behind 180 degrees in your rear view mirror to ask yourself, hang on, what have I, how how did I get here? And when I ask that question, I mean, how did you, what did you have to overcome in order to get here on the ground? And many times people will tell me stories of how they, um, faced sexual abuse 
in college, how they went on um, despite that to rise in their organization, to lead groups and to lead the organization. And so when they're faced with a setback and it, you know, the, the 180 degrees can help you look at all of those successes that you've had, all of the challenges that you've had and how have you addressed it to overcome it, to go, wow, I'm a badass. <laughs> I'm on the ground right now, but look at all the, look at all this stuff in my rear view mirror that I've already done. And for whatever reason, right, we're, we're plastered on the floor. We faced this setback and we're like, I just, wow, I, I, I stink. Right. But when you turn around and you look, Mark, look at the life you've led, you know, living in Vietnam, look at the, the podcasts that you've run, how many books you've read, how many lives you've affected by doing your simple thing that you show up for to do with perseverance and with persistence and look at the network you've developed, right? You have done something that no one else has done. And yet we face that, that moment of like, oh, wow, that podcast didn't land very well. Like that one wasn't, didn't go very, it didn't hit a big audience or whatever. And so we can get down on ourselves. But then turn right around and look at all the crazy, amazing stuff that you have overcome to go, what am I doing on the ground? Let me get right back up. <laughs> I, I got something bigger ahead of me. I know it. Right. And that that's resiliency. Right. That's how you can pull yourself out of that. I think uh, I always look at and say there's no upside to downside. Mm -hmm. You know, like if you're if you're going to uh, you can cry for a day, but you got to brush yourself off because nobody's going to care. Uh, yeah. It's up to you to do it. That's why I'm most in everything in life, uh, losing weight, um, getting graduate school, whatever it is, it's on you at the end of the day. Yeah. And if you get knocked down, it's on you to get yourself back up. Mm -hmm. You know, I mean, I'll, I'm going to have to re, I'm gonna have to cut this part of the tape out that you just said all these good things to me so I can replay that in my bad days. But, um, <laughs> but I think at the end of the day, that's really what it comes down to because sports is the greatest teacher. And, and when you see people uh, get knocked down and they managed to get back up. That's why Rocky was such a favorite movie for people is because they could relate to it. And they saw him, somebody who wasn't really talented and he managed to get back up, persevere. And even though in the first one, he didn't win. The fact that he got back up again is, it was all, that's what winning is. It's just getting back up again. It is. Winning is getting back up again. Winning is showing up. Yeah. Winning yeah. is such showing up. And so many times, all of us, including me, especially me, I think, stop showing up or that that whatever gets in your way and you're like, oh, I just can't, right? But it's that showing up that really propels you forward. And that's where crazy success lies behind. Um, showing up and being persistent. Um, I, I know this, it, can I share a yeah. personal anecdote here? So thanks, Mark. So my, my husband wrote a book, um, not Power of Poison, he, he wrote a fictional book and it's Lee Howard and the Ghost of Simmons Pierce Manor. But the thing is, 
He wrote it last uh, two years ago. He showed up at a grocery store to sell his book. He showed up month after month to like sell his book. One day someone came, took a video and it went crazy viral. And he then is like, he sold a lot of books, but the point was he showed up, right? He showed up, even though he might be sitting in the grocery store for six hours and, you know, people aren't there to buy a book. They're there to do something else. But he had it within himself to continue to show up, to continue to be there, get the nose, hone his craft and pitch his book and, you know, success followed. And I think for many of us, we see the success and it's like, oh, that looks so good. I want that. How do I get that? But it show up. Uh, be there. I, I love biographies. And uh, Kevin Hart, uh, who's from Philadelphia, you got to read his biography because Kevin Hart was not an overnight success. Most of the rarely are these people overnight yeah. successes. Yeah. And when you read Kevin Hart's biography and what he went through to be who he is, mm -hmm. you got to realize that uh, this guy is going to be at the top forever because of his level of persistence. Yes. Uh, and he's going to be a billionaire comedian because he's multi-platform, but he just is a force of nature that refuses uh, to be uh, put down. And I think the fact that he's diminutive has a lot to do with it because the biggest fighter and the smallest dogs. Yeah. And and that's the case with him. Um, there are many words in the book you find important, but one intrigued more than the uh, other words. And that was the word yet. Why is that word important? I love that word. Yet is such a beautiful word. Um, we oftentimes will say, you know, oh, I can't apply for that role. Like I haven't managed a 500 person department, right? And so it takes you down a certain path. Oh, I haven't done something, right? And so your vision is, again, we're talking about persistence. It's it's on the, wow, I haven't sold that many books at the grocery store yet, right? The yet flips everything on its head to open yet opens the door to possibility. And yet, I think, is one of those persistence building skills and how you can approach a situation that maybe isn't even, doesn't even have the greatest outlook, but it can turn into a yet moment. And so when you hear something and you know as a as a coach i often hear my clients belittling themselves of what they haven't done or what they haven't succeeded at doing and then it's yet oh yeah i haven't done that yet but i have done and this is typically what happens so i'll challenge everyone here when you hear yourself say oh i haven't done blah 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 put a yet at the end of it and see what opens up for you because when I've used that with um, with clients, what they'll immediately start pointing to is, oh, again, going back to that 180 degree view of what have I done? I have actually, met, it was funny, I had a client who said, yeah, I haven't, haven't done that. And I said, yet. 
And then she said, oh, but I did manage a event with over 300 people and coordinated all of the vendors and the this and the that, and then started building up this, her own sort of resiliency and also her own belief in herself. And I'm like, oh my gosh, why don't I go for this? I've done this in my past, right? And so that is the power of, of adding yet into your vocabulary um, and into your your team. I think uh, Henry is talking about persistence, sort of Henry Ford. Um, I think everyone here knows Henry Ford, right? But yeah. he'd, he'd always, he was so persistent that, you know, he wanted a V8 engine. It's not possible. Like he didn't take no for an answer. Like keep working on it. Like we we haven't, like it's not possible to do, the engineers would say. And that was a yet moment, right? It's not possible yet. What do you need to pull into? What do you need to explore? What else, what other rock has been left that we haven't turned over yet, right? And so obviously we have V8 engines, so he didn't give up. It's that persistence and it it unlocks possibility. It um. It opens the door to that, what's possible? Uh, I know many people talk about the book they plan to write. I have a friend like that has been talking mm-hmm. about for 15 years, the new venture they're going to start or the change of industries, but they never do it. What makes people risk adverse and strategies do you suggest so dreams are put at the forefront and not onto the side? Yeah. So it's that eating the elephant, right? It's like, oh. How do you eat an elephant? <laughs> like um, little by little, right? And so that's that's how I encourage people to play with risk too. Uh, you can build that either risk muscle that you can get that book written. That this book that you see behind me, the Power Poison Presence, I wrote it. Funny story about writing that book is I. After I coached people, I started just jotting down notes of what did I discover in this session? Like what would have helped this client? And I started having these little piles of notes all around. And the book came from my little pile of notes. So oftentimes when we set out the goal of, yes, it's great to have a goal. Let's write the book. But if you backtrack that a little bit, what are you writing? How are you getting closer to that goal? Whether it's part of the book or not, like it it doesn't matter. If writing a book is your end goal, what are you writing? And how do you build that into your day? So every day for me, I would take 15 minutes a day. That's how that book got written. I took 15 minutes a day and I either rewrote those notes or started working on the outline or I did something 15 minutes a day while I was working my corporate job. 15 minutes a day, that's it. And then after work, I might work on it again, but I always made it a point that it was 15 minutes a day, I'm working on that. And so if it's really important to you to accomplish that goal, to lose that weight, to do that thing, um, to apply for that role, to get certain education, how are you incorporating it into your life and keeping a focus on it daily? And so that's what I would, that's what I would um, encourage people to do is how do you fold it in so that if it's that important to you, that you are, you are bringing it along and success isn't the book written and published. 
success is that I took 15 minutes a day to write. And had the discipline to do it because everything yeah. in life requires uh, anything good, right? Requires discipline. Absolutely. Yeah. And that goes, that goes back to the persistence. Yeah. Persistence, probably more than even discipline. It's it is that persistence muscle will get you past even the discipline. I'm going, it, it's, it's that important to me that I'm going to, wait to go to bed until I've given at least five minutes or one minute to writing. Yeah. Um, can you explain your analogy of biomarkers and why you uh, write changing your biomarkers is in your control? Yeah. So biomarkers, we hadn't talked about biomarkers, but I, I take, um, so since my background is healthcare, I love biomarkers. Biomarkers are everything if you're in healthcare, right? We all wear these, uh, a lot of people wear the smartwatches. Um, there are rings now. There's all sorts of stuff, um, wristbands that you can wear that give you information about yourself. In the book, I talk about um, insulin and glucose, and you can have these glucose meters that tell you what your glucose level is so that insulin compromised patients know what and when to administer um, insulin for themselves. Well, that meter tells you what your blood glucose is. When you feed in the blood, it will report a value. Now that value doesn't change intrinsically the amount of glucose that you have floating around in your bloodstream. So that's a example of a biomarker. There's all sorts of biomarkers. There's physiological biomarkers, there's, um, there's genetic biomarkers. So I tap into the physiological biomarkers. And when you have blood that can measure, you have a glucose meter that can measure glucose. You also have other biomarkers and many of them are physiological biomarkers. They can be sensations, they can be emotions, uh, centering, color, like all of your senses. All of those can, can lead to um, biomarkers and you have particular characteristics of power, poise, presence, any any number of things too. So the way um, the way the biomarkers work and that we think that they work is I show up powerful when, uh, kind of like the blood glucose meter, when all of these things happen, then I show up a certain way. I show up powerful. But my assertion was that, no, you can actually show up powerful when you know what all of those biomarkers are that point you towards showing up powerful. So if you know what those biomarkers are for you in particular, then you can show up peacefully. You can show up powerfully poised, present. And so it's a matter of knowing and tapping into what are your specific biomarkers. And I think I talk, you know, I, I give an example of all of my biomarkers um, for powerful poison for presence, but I also give one for for my peace. And I have particular biomarkers that I can tap into and, you know, I can breathe deeply. I can remember my, um, the smell of fresh cut grass because that for me just brings in nature and, um, lightness and warmth, sunlight, all of those things, prayer come to mind for me, for my peace. And so whenever I want to tap into my unique peace, 
I bring all those things to mind. And then all of a sudden I'm in that space of peace. And it works the same for power, poison, presence. I bring to mind all of those things, all of those memories of when have I been my most authentic self. Powerful, not because I had a role or a position. I may have, but that that was a that was a side effect. It wasn't the thing. Um, and I bring all of those to mind. I can make power appear for myself or poise or presence or all three for myself so that I can walk into that situation that I might be fearing 10 minutes before and I can walk in powerfully poised and present. And so that, that is the, that's the, that's the, the gift that I wanted to give the reader is here's this gift of how you can show up that way. It's all within you. Um, question from the audience, Dr. Mm -hmm. Warner, thank you so much for many great points. I agree with the yet. My question is, how do you get your following and crew to buy into the yet and persistence when leading by example isn't enough? Yeah. Um, oh, given that work and progress are, are there and apparent, just not fast enough for some. Yeah, that leading. So first, I want to commend you. Phenomenal to lead by example. That's it's is a beautiful way to lead because so many people are experiential learners. So they what they see is what they try to emulate. Um, and then buying into the yet is you you believing in that yet as well. Um and with timelines, deadlines, um, that can that can add you know particular stress to you as well. So as a leader, buying into the into the yet, getting your team to buy into it is also incorporating it as part of your culture, and in smaller things as well as the bigger things. So oftentimes we want like the big things to shift to, okay, we lost that deal. And that was a huge, that was a really big deal. Like we're not in this, we're not going to get in this market this year. Like that there's some hard repercussions that happen, but those larger things a lot of times happen because of those smaller, um, those smaller pieces. And so any moment that you can in either your one-on-one -on -one or um, get that group to buy in and the way you get them to buy in is not only leading by example but also getting the commit from the group of let's say your norms what are your standards for the way that you operate so that you're not the only one in the room that says yet um, you have other people on your team who are also using that when you're not in the room. And the way that you do that is you might even introduce it to your team as a learning and development moment as part of a smaller meeting. Like, hey, this is something I learned. I wanted to share it with the team. Um, I heard this uh, this author talking about the the power of yet, and I wanted to get your feedback on how do you think we might incorporate this in our work? Do you think it would be helpful for us to do this, right? And then what you're starting to do is now you're generating dialogue with your team 
and you start to incorporate that mentality, not just for you, but for everybody else. So you're seeding the team around that. I hope that's helpful because many times you you don't have to be the only one. You need to be bringing up other leaders. You need to be encouraging everyone else. And if it doesn't work for you, then my suggestion is throw it out the window, right? Um, if it doesn't work for you, what would work for you? So that's what I would say. Um, I have one last, uh, I, oh, maybe it's just the last comment. Yes, I really appreciate you talking about the yet, uh, uh, yet too much. Hearing these things from you is very reassuring. Thank you. So I want to say, Lizette, it was a, a fast hour. I thank you so much for taking the time to speak with us and for the good work you did with your book. I hope that you'll write another book and we'll have you back again. And I hope you have a wonderful weekend, everybody. We look forward to seeing you next week. Uh, and I'll still be in the United States even next week. So look forward to it. Thank you, Mark. Um, and thank you to your audience. Have a great weekend, everybody. Take care. Thank you for listening to another episode of The Best Business Minds. Tune in every Friday at 12 p.m. Eastern Time for our live recordings. Go to www.thebestbusinessminds.com for more information and follow us on LinkedIn and Twitter to be kept up to date with our upcoming guests and other bonus material. See you next time.